Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The great day, the last day, when all who thirst come unto Christ. And who does not thirst? Unless they have diverted their lives into one of those passion-driven areas in which human thirst is responded to by drugs or alcohol or evil living of some kind, taking brass instead of gold. But for all who have kept themselves, managing their passions, and have sustained their consciousness of the fact of God's love for us and His desire that we spend our time on this earth loving Him and loving Him also through the least of His brethren, such one's thirst. And the Lord says that anyone who thirsts in that way, anyone who thirsts and comes to Him will be refreshed and will have a source of living water welling up within himself. And so once again, we are conveyed to that world of the Jews, the Hebrews, the Middle East, a desert place, a desert place that knows the real value of even so much as a single drop of water, let alone a whole flood a whole pool, a whole sea of water. And therefore water functions powerfully throughout this time from Pascha to Pentecost, as we saw in one mighty wave crashing against the rocks, so to speak, at mid-Pentecost, when water forms the appropriate image of thirsting mankind. And as we always note, and has been noted from the beginning, we thirst for a lot of th things that are rather third-rate. I always mention that nice country and western song. I don't even know who sings it. Someone who has a really good twang. And she says, Oh Lord, give me a Mercedes-Benz. And of course, it's funny because it starts out, Oh Lord, it's a prayer. Give me. We're all familiar with that. And then it becomes utterly trivial and frivolous. A Mercedes-Benz. <clears throat> no. Oh Lord, give me the water of eternal life. This is what I want. There will come a day as God arranges our lives and our comprehension of them and their meaning and their significance when so much that drove us in our prime, in our adult years, so much that motivated us, so much that caught our eye, will be nothing. It will be like dirt. It will have no meaning for us at all. But, if the response to all of those seductive things that the devil dangles in front of our eyes is to reject them in favor of our Lord, then we are truly thirsty men and women. 
and we will truly respond even to so much as a drop, even so much as half a drop of cool, fresh, pure water in a wasteland. The Feast of Pentecost, this great, this last day, the Feast of Pentecost, 50 days, Pentecosti, after the uh, resurrection of the Savior, when the Holy Spirit descends on all of the apostles. Those of you who are friends with Scripture and know it well, know that there is a kind of turn in the river, there is a kind of tectonic change in the apostles themselves before and after the Feast of Pentecost. Do you remember how dejected they are, as we see in the figures of Luke and Clopas, trudging their depressed ways uh, down to Emmaus? As we see in the confusion of the Holy Apostles as they hear the first apostolic preaching, which is from the mere-bearing women, the first to behold, to encounter, to see, and to proclaim the resurrection of the Savior. And yet, and yet, they themselves are affrighted, they themselves are uncertain. The holy apostles come to see for themselves, they're not sure, and they leave the empty tomb in a state clearly of confusion. And then there are the arguments. There is the disbelief, as we found in the figure of the holy apostle Thomas. And so it is, and so it is. They hold together, they continue to meet, there are the post-resurrectional appearances of our Savior, and even then, with all of that going on, just as at the crucifixion, with all the miracles that had preceded it, there is an uncertainty. And then they are in Jerusalem, and something happens in that city which is high up on top of a great mountain, which is dusty and dry and hot. There is a mighty wind that is heard, but it singles itself out in a singular way, not like all the other breezes and winds that are found even there at the top of that mountain, but this is a distinctive wind. Something strange is in the air. And then flames, tongues of fire appear over the heads of the holy apostles. Not one of them. Not the special uh, in-group, the three who are taken to the special events. But upon all of them. And they go out they who have been cowering and shaking in their sandals for fear of the Jews, they go out and they proclaim in the midst of Jerusalem in ways that even leads the uh, gathered Jews from the ends of the earth. The Jews have dispersed to everywhere. There are Jewish communities from 
Britain in the far west all the way to the east to India, speaking a multitude of languages. And on this feast of Pentecost, Jerusalem is full of returning Jews to worship and to pray in the holy places. And a babble of languages is heard. And these apostles, who are they? Rude, unlettered fishermen from Galilee. They are the equivalent of our hillbillies, are suddenly speaking in tongues and everyone is understanding them. And they are amazed. And some of them say they must have been drinking. Well, that's a serious charge. Jews don't like getting drunk. You know, they see somebody drunk, they say, oh, you're behaving like a Christian. And too often they're right. But there, they're hearing these people. Well, this is what we mean by the apostolic preaching. This is the verification of our faith. This is what we believe. And this is what is believed from the very beginning in the first 100, 200, 300 years before the great council of Nicaea in 325, before the conversion of Constantine somehow. Before all that, there is, uh, just as we heard in the gospel this morning, there was a division among them. People are arguing. There are different ideas about who Christ is. And you remember it was this Greek bishop who was serving in France, in Lyon, Irenaeus of Lyon, who said, so-and-so spoke with the Holy Apostle John. He knew him. He knew him. And therefore, what he teaches, what he says Christ is, what he says was done, that is the truth. And you have, in the only way possible in that culture, the first person speaking to the second person, the second to the third, the third to the fourth. And this is the content of our holy tradition, and this is what is called in the formal highfalutin language of theological schools, the apostolic preaching. If you have uh, any of the copies of the books by Father George Florovsky, he dwelt on that throughout his life. The last time I saw him, less than a year before his death in August of 79, I saw him in 78, and he was talking about the apostolic preaching. That's the firm line that you hold on to. That was true for Irenaeus of Lyon, a Greek serving as a bishop in Lyon, France. It was true for all the early bishops and congregations, all the clergy, everybody. Hold on to that. That's the central core truth of uh, the church that God has given us for our salvation, for our surviving the grave experience. Now we see how that functions on this day. Because on this day we understand that this is no mere human recollection. But this is human recollection inspired by the Holy Spirit. We also see that the Holy Spirit did not inspire just one man. Peter was not sing singled out as a kind of different sort of apostle. All the apostles equally have the tongue of flame inspiring them, the sign, the icon, if you will, 
of their inspiration, the verification and the validation of what they knew. And after that, the apostles who have given every evidence of uncertainty, confusion, fear, you name it, are, as it were, completely stabilized in their faith in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit sent from the Father. A completely Trinitarian experience, if ever there was one. This is therefore a speech, a, a, a feast that is very, very victorious, very exuberant. Just as the uh, Jews who are crowding Jerusalem from all the ends of the earth come to Jerusalem for the great Jewish feast of Pentecost, of Pentecost, so they thought these men had been drinking were inebriated. Well, they were inebriated, but not with alcohol. They were inebriated with the experience of the Holy Spirit. If you read the lives of the saints, and I know you do, you realize that so much of the daily trudge, the daily drudgery of, uh, of human life on their part, as they lived it out, as they experienced it, was to make themselves receptive to the grace of the Holy Spirit. And someone has written, Kansevich has written a very good uh, history of the spirituality of medieval and late medieval Russia, and uh, they affirm that the goal of the Christian life is the acquisition of the Holy Spirit. The acquisition of the Holy Spirit. This is why saints and all those who want to be saints fast when the church says fast, feast when the church says feast. Uh, this is why Christians forgive others even the most unforgivable sins. This is why people try to get along and try to conquer their passions. This is why you have a rule of prayer and hold to the rule of the prayer and even if you're tired and even if you're late, you go to the mat to perform your rule of prayer. And you are somewhat strict with yourself. And the stricter a person is with himself, the easier he is with other people. It's always true. There's no exception to that rule. Someone who is hard on other people is not being very hard on himself. But if you are strict with yourself, you are very lenient and forgiving with other people. Watch, you'll see, if you haven't already seen that in your own life. But this is the motivation, this is the why. Why, why do we do this? Why do we not do that? Why do we behave like Why do Christians and so forth? Well, to acquire the Holy Spirit. To make ourselves receptive. To make our heart a true earth, not a stone and not sandy soil, so that when the seed of the presence of the Spirit is dropped into us, it will take root and grow up to a huge tree and bear fruit an hundredfold. May God grant each of us, in His own way, to approach that place where the Holy Spirit sheds His grace into the hearts of men. And may each of us find that light, that joy, that peace that is there and there alone. And in some way, we apprehend this even this side of the grave. We taste something, we smell something of the fragrance of that other place, even here, even now.
Amen, and may it be so, and may it be so for all of us.